Purple Insider is presented by Liquid Death, delicious water that's bringing death to plastic. Learn more at liquiddeath.com insider. gotta tell you we just came from a matt daniels press conference and before this i tackled will to the ground so we're ready to go we're hyped for this after listening to matt daniels i have to say will in my entire career i have never experienced press conferences like those of viking special teams coordinator matt daniels they are intense so intense that at the end he talked about how there's a bunch of killers out there on special teams and you have to be really tough and courageous to play special teams in the NFL. And I'm just like, all right, football, let's go. It's it's the best part of every single week that we get to kind of do this and cover this team is, is hearing from Matt Daniels. And he's so he's just so fun to listen to. He's super engaged and you can tell he's really, really passionate about special teams. And then once at least once every press conference, he is going to come out of left field with some wild analogy or metaphor or just straight up say something outlandish, and it's awesome. I love it. I hope he becomes a head coach someday, and everyone will get to kind of – the national public will get to discover how great he is. Kind of like the Mike McDaniel thing. Like I'm sure the 49ers people knew that he was an interesting quote and kind of a weird, quirky guy, and now everyone's getting to experience it while he's a head coach. So I hope Matt Daniels becomes a head coach someday because he seems like he's also just a genuinely really good dude. Well, yeah, I mean, the way that he connects with his players, and he was talking about that today, and that's the thing about his press conferences. They're not just like a laugh fest. I mean, they're often really interesting, but then he mixes in something that you never see coming. Like, uh, well, his Jalen Rager commentary, I want to talk about that, actually. But, of course, early in the year when he called them cocky built and talked about his haunches his or something. Yeah. and all <laughs> that, yeah. Like, oh, it was very weird. Uh, and then even he made a dating analogy last week with Kenny Wongwu that was like, I, I don't know if you quite thought that one over before you went with it. But I do think the way he's coached them and the way that he carries himself and the way that he has galvanized players and gotten the head coach to wear the special teams hat and all those sorts of things. He has a head coach vibe to him that you just kind of know when you see. And I don't know after one year of doing special teams, if he's going to get interviews and conversations with that, but this is a guy that down the road, you could see that for sure um, with Matt Daniels and like went to Duke, very, very bright guy, uh, former guest of the show, of course, yeah. which, you know, adds to his own cachet. doesn't help me just him. But um, I do want to talk about the the, J the Jalen Rager angle because I asked Kevin O'Connell early in the week, like, hey, uh, you know, what do you think of the way that Jalen Rager is sort of, uh, you know, taking on the offense, whatever, because he had two decent plays. I mean, one was a big play, 38-yarder, and then his, uh, you know, the, what, the end around or whatever, was it jet sweep, if we want to be technical. I mean, he showed some real quickness and explosiveness. But he also never plays. I mean, he had two snaps in the game. He got the ball both times. I believe he had one snap in the Patriots game and got the ball that time. And he's made plays for them. When you look at K.J. Osborne's yards per catch, he is the fourth lowest in the entire NFL for guys that actually get targets for his yards per catch. Like at some point, should we be talking about trying to get Jalen Rager to play like 15 snaps instead of two? 
Yeah, I've I've been kind of on that train for a few weeks now, and you're right though. I just pulled up his his PFF, and there's two games where the Vikings were getting killed. I mean, the only two losses they have: Philly and Dallas. He played ten and twelve snaps, came in in garbage time. But outside of that, it's one three three one four two two two. Like he just doesn't play very much. But when he does, he seems to get the ball quite a bit and and do things with it. And you look at the next gen stats and like their their ball carrier tracking data. He's like the fastest player on the Vikings offense. I mean, Dalvin Cook, when he really gets going to top speed, is right up there as well. I mean, if we ever got to see Kane Wangwu, he's up there as well. But Jalen Rager, like Wes Phillips said it this morning, there's a reason you can see why he was a first round pick. And it didn't work out in Philly for various reasons, but just pure athleticism wise, the the twitchiness he has, the fluidity with which he moves, the acceleration that he has to get to top speed really quickly. I, I just see like if he can kind of continue mastering this playbook and, and being versatile and being able to kind of line up as the X, as the Z, the Y, whatever, like and, and make plays out of that, I don't see why you wouldn't get him more involved. And, and the the counter to that is, yes, KJ Osborne's yards per route run is like point seven or it's something dreadful. But it's not it's not really his role to be like a top target in the passing game. That's gonna be Jefferson, Thielen, Hawkinson, and then maybe Osborne as the fourth or even fifth option behind like your running back or even Johnny Munt. And, and so what he does really well is he's a good run blocker. And they, they can kind of, when they're in their base 11 personnel, they can almost kind of be like like they're in 12 personnel because he can almost add, act as a second tight end with his blocking ability. And so that's, that's valuable. I don't think K.J. Osborne by any means is going to be phased out of the offense because of that. But you can, you can do both. You can have K.J. Osborne out there a lot, and you can – play Jalen Rager for 13 snaps instead of two. So I, w- I would like to see them do that more. Is it really true that he's a good run blocker? Like, I, I don't know. I'm going to look it up, and I have a feeling what we're going to see. I think if you, I think the PFF is going to say is not going to jump out, and he's going to – I think I've looked at that, and he's like – it's probably like a 60 or something. But I think – and maybe this is anecdotally, but when I'm like skimming through the, the, the film each week, there seems to always be a play that jumps out where he's – looking good as a run blocker. And I don't know what that means on a, on a down-to-down basis, but the, the coaches also, Kevin O'Connell, Wes Phillips, they've praised him for that. I, I think like just based on the way he's built and, and some of the things that have shown up, uh, I think he's a good run blocker. I don't know. I, it, the question might be, is that worth like <laughs> one of the least efficient pass-catching targets in the entire league going by – PFF receiving grade and by yards per route run and all those things. And, and so I think there's absolutely a scenario where you cut down on KJ Osborne snaps a little bit. You get, get Jalen Rager more involved because he's just such a dynamic player. Well, my computer's plugged into the recorder, so I don't want to like turn around my computer to show you the big reveal of where he ranks in run blocking. But I'll just maybe you can look at over there, just kind of lean your head around. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's second to last in the NFL in run blocking. Um, it's just funny how these things sort of become I a think thing. this becomes a whole – there's a whole debate here. A larger thing, though, is like do we just inherently trust PFF? Yes, yes. When it comes, when it comes to blocking and them grading every receiver's blocking on every play, yeah, I do. I mean, I would say so. Yeah. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that – like he has harder assignments and and you can use your common sense. So yes, if you're saying like this guy has harder assignments and whatever, but Cooper cup is the seventh best blocker this year by PFF. Um, so, well, let me, where, where is Jefferson and Thielen on there? 
Uh, in the middle of the, middle the pack, somewhere. I think. Actually, okay. you know what? I sorted it a little bit wrong. I sorted it a little bit wrong. He's actually 36th out of 53. Okay. So I, I had that sorted wrong. But okay. uh, still, like, below average. And Cooper Cup is sort of toward the top of the league. So, I mean, at least by that perspective, it, it passes, like, the the smell test mm-hmm. of, like, where you, you should rank. I mean, what it's saying is, my whole point is not to say that, like, K.J. Osborne is actually trash when it comes to blocking. It's really to say, because his grade is just a little, like below average. Yeah. It's just to say that coaches sometimes get these things in their head. This guy's a great blocker, so we need to have him do this. Kind of reminds me of, like, Dakota Dozier's a better run blocker than Brett Jones, so he should be playing out there. But really, the numbers showed us that Dakota Dozier wasn't good at run blocking either. And, and they might argue, like, oh, well, he has more mobility, so he can reach this block. But if he's not doing it effectively, it doesn't really matter. And I guess my point is that K.J. Osborne's blocking is not at the top of the NFL. It's not like he is Cooper Cup. It's not like he's dominating this run blocking. So if he's averaging seven yards a catch and is not getting targeted and Cousins is throwing interceptions when he looks his way, use Jalen Rager. That was the point. It's not to like trash his run blocking. It's just to say that the objective measure that looks at every single receiver's run blocking tells us that it's just not exceptional. And, you know, Justin Jefferson grades a lot higher, actually. He grades as the 10th best on this. So, and and Thielen is more toward the middle of the league. So, you know, I guess I'm just saying that this guy is more explosive in Jalen Rager. 100%. He can run end rounds. He can run quick screens. And apparently you can throw it down the field to him every once in a while. I think they should be doing it. That was just a very roundabout way of doing it. No, and I completely agree. And it's like... You look at that 38-yard catch that he had, and you can see, I mean, the way he kind of flipped his hips to get the safety to to turn one way, he got super open. If Kirk wasn't being, like, crushed while he threw it and steps in and and puts that ball 60 yards downfield, that might have been a walk-in touchdown. Like, you can see just the dynamic that Jalen Rager brings to the table. I I guess it's just – it's one of those questions where we ask ourselves, like, do we trust the coaching staff here? Because there, there must be a reason in their mind, obviously, why, why K.J. Osborne's on the field. And I don't think it's to be this this unbelievable separator or route runner or whatever. I think it's because they like what he does uh, as a run blocker. I think it's because they like his knowledge of the scheme and, and he's generally not going to like mess up. And, and Kevin O'Connell has kind of alluded to this with Jalen Rager. Is Yes, he's been here for a while now. They, they traded for him before – the season started kind of on cut day, but he still didn't have the whole spring, the whole summer, the whole install thing. Wes Phillips talked about it. Like there are things in this offense that aren't anywhere on a a playbook. They're not like written down somewhere. It's just the little things that have to be coached in terms of your, your split on this play, your alignment here, the way you run certain route. Like there's things that just have to be coached. And he hasn't had that for the same amount of time as somebody like KJ Osborne has, but more and more, that's becoming less of an excuse because he's been here for a long time, and he's at this point he should know the entire playbook really well. So, yeah, I am com- in complete agreement. Get Jalen Rager on the field more often because good things have happened so far when he's been out there. Is that hinting to us he doesn't really get it with some of the details? It could be. I, yeah. It could be. Which I think, which I think is fair, and I buy into that in a lot of ways when it comes to average players so when we were having that conversation of 
hey, should it be BC Johnson or Amir Smith-Marset many lifetimes ago in training camp? Yeah. It's like, no, folks, they're going to go with BC Johnson because he really gets the details of this offense, and you can see it in practice and the way that they talk about BC versus Amir Smith-Marset, and the talent gap is not that different. One was a seventh rounder, one was a fifth rounder, but Jalen Rager has first round explosiveness. And this is reminding me a little bit of one Cordero Patterson. And I know Cordero is an all timer when it comes to having the ball in his hands. But if Jalen Rager, who is also a first round pick because of this very skill, mm-hmm. can do some of the same things. What was the reason that they wouldn't put Cordero out there? Same deal. It was, well, you know, he can't get the route details and there's a lot of things he doesn't quite get and everything else. Like I, I understand that. And I'm sympathetic to that only if the guy isn't really special. And even when you see him, I mean, and Wes Phillips talked about this, like when you saw him on that Roquan Smith play earlier against the bears, it was just freakish. It was just like the matrix with him dodging the tackle And if you have that on an offense that's, what, 11th in the league and is just kind of okay and has this nature of sputtering from time to time. And hasn't really generated any explosive plays that don't end up in the hands of number 18. Right, right. You need to be looking for every possible option. I think that two snaps probably isn't enough when you have somebody out there who you're playing to be a, a, a tight end. And when it comes, I mean, K.J. Osborne, I mean, his yards per target is that of a backup tight end yeah that is not what you expected from him so that's something that i'd like to see them start to do as we kind of search for where's the areas they can improve and you can and you can play him more like when he plays two snaps a game and touches it both times that's cool that's a little gadgety thing but play him 10 to 15 snaps and have him touch the ball sometimes but then also have his gravity like have him be a decoy have him go in motion like he's going to do an end around that can shift the linebackers and then give it to Dalvin cook going the other way or or play action pass off of that, or have him run a deep route and clear out a safety for Jefferson or Thielen on an intermediate like crossing route. Like there are all kinds of things that they can do. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to believe Kevin O'Connell when he maybe hints that Rager isn't all the way there. Like you said, in terms of just knowing enough to, to be out there as like a 15, 20 snap player. But it's December. It's time, and especially in these games coming up, Lions, Colts, Giants. I mean, it's the Bears at the end of the season who are terrible. Like, get Jalen Rager out there more often and, and see, test him. Like, put him, see if he can do what you ask him to do and, and run it correctly and, and do what you need him to do on any given play. And then if he can, use him in the playoffs because he's just he's just one of the best athletes on the team in terms of raw athleticism, change of direction, ability, top speed, all of those things. Uh, let me throw another hot topic out for you. Okay. Before we get into you know the Lions and how they match, everybody knows the Lions by now. So this is something that's just been on my mind. And uh, Ed Donatel talked about this today quite a bit about Harrison Smith mm-hmm. and what it's been like to coach Harrison Smith. Now, personally, I think that uh, the Jets game was Harrison's best game where he made like a lot of splash plays, just even beyond the interception, but just pass breakups. Uh, when I w- when I initially saw it live, I thought, oh, I can't believe Garrett Wilson didn't catch that ball over the middle. But looking back at the tape, like Harrison Smith made this unbelievable play where he just kind of turned the opposite direction and got to the spot where he knew the ball was coming. Uh, you referenced the way that he shot through a gap at the goal line and made a play. I also included that in my look back at the film for this week because it was just like one of those total feel plays where you know, like, I don't even think they told him to line up there. And Donatel 
confirmed that that yeah. they didn't tell him necessarily to line up there basically you just find a spot and you run at the running back uh you know and, and figure it out from there and he said that they allow Harrison Smith to do a lot of just scanning and figuring it out but here's the hot topic we all know Harrison's good everyone likes him mm-hmm. uh, do you think he's a hall of famer I do and I am probably biased because I've watched him play football for his entire career and I think I don't want to be like the classic Minnesotan, like, oh, nobody nobody watches the Vikings play. If if Harrison Smith was on the Cowboys, he would they would have his gold jacket fitted already. Like some of that is probably true, but I, I just think the versatility, the production is there. If you go the X amount of players who have had he now has thirty four interceptions, I believe he has sixteen and a half sacks, players who have both of those, they're basically all in the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of them was Leroy Butler, who just got into the Hall of Fame recently. Like, he's got almost like Polamalu numbers, and, and just what he's done. The, the I think the the length of time with which he's been one of the best safeties in the league is really impressive. Like, he came into the league in 2012 as a first round pick, and pretty much right away was a really really great safety. And then kind of had his peak years 2015, 2017 around then, and now he's what 32, 33, something like that. And he's still one of the best safeties in the league in terms of – and he's using the experience now more than than just the kind of athleticism that he started out with. And I think he's a great player. I think he really changes what you can do defensively, and Ed Donatel talked about that. Like having a player with that much knowledge and that much kind of intelligence and anticipation, he can just let him go freelance out there to some degree and and, and figure things out on his own and scan and, and make plays. And I think, I think it's so valuable. And, and the big thing is – if he, I think if he retired after this season, there'd be a big debate. I think he's got another two, three years of being a really good safety. He could get to 40-plus interceptions, and I think the stats at the end of the day matter a lot, maybe more than they should, than like the actual, you know, watch watch the tape. But if, I think he's going to get the stats, so I think I think that'll help his case. Folks, it is time once again for us to have a discussion about liquid death. Now, here's the thing. My wife has been one of those people for a really long time that has carried around a water bottle and it's metal and it's gross and she drops it on the ground all the time. And so I said, look, why don't we try some liquid death? You're a big water drinker. Give it a shot. And she has fallen in love with not only me, but liquid death as well. And it looks like sometimes when she's driving around that she is drinking a tall boy beer while she's driving. But it is indeed liquid death water. And one of the reasons that she likes it is that it comes in aluminum cans. The name liquid death comes from bringing death to plastic and liquid death gives 10% of their profits to end plastic bottles, which are not easily recyclable. And that's another part that my wife is enjoying about liquid death. And I am also drinking it as well, especially the lime flavored sparkling water, which is very good. So make sure you give that a try. Go to Hy-Vee, Target, wherever you get your groceries, go to the water aisle, look for the can that looks actually like a tall boy beer. And if you want to learn more about where to find it, go to liquiddeath.com insider. That's liquiddeath.com insider. I think that he does have a decent case at this moment. The Hall of Fame monitor by Pro Football Reference is not as impressed uh, as we are. They list him as comparable to, and I'll try to get some 2000s names for you. There's a lot of 90s names that people will recognize. Like Terry McDaniel was a guy who was around for a long time, made 
uh, five Pro Bowls in nine years. Harrison Smith has made six. That guy wasn't really anywhere near and got a lot of interceptions. Very similar to Harrison Smith, like almost identical and wasn't really anywhere near that conversation. You remember uh, Adrian Wilson, who played for Arizona? I mean, these are great players. We're only talking great players here. But Adrian Wilson is another comparable who is not somebody that was going to make the Hall of Fame. Merton Hanks, uh, Devin McCourty also has a similar type of grade here. Uh, Rodney Harrison. I mean, he's probably a Rodney Harrison type player. Is Rodney Harrison not in the Hall of Fame? um, No. He is Interesting. not. Is he going to make it? Like, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of a borderline. So I think that he probably does end up borderline. But when you look at the standard for defensive backs to make the Hall of Fame, which is really what the Hall of Fame monitor does, yeah. kind of looks at what are the similarities between, you know, all these players and then how did they make it? Um, a lot of times it's multiple all pros is what you and really he, need. He only has one, the 2017 right. first team all pro. So think Although, about okay, he in 2018, he was second team, but he only has the one first team all pro compared to like Patrick Peterson has three. Right. right. So I like Patrick Peterson, we both I probably think is going to be a Hall first of Famer, ballot. Right? Yeah, yeah I, because I think he's going right in. I mean, he was like was Harrison Smith for more than maybe just 2017 ever like the best safety in the league. I don't know. Patrick Peterson for six years was the best cornerback in the league. I think what Harrison Smith has going for him, at least like in the eyes of all observers, is that he's like a, a baseball player who hits 300 every year. Yeah. He only 2017 would be the year that he hit 40 home runs. All the rest of the time, he hits like 20 home runs. So is he Joe Maurer? He's uh, no, because Joe Maurer is one of the greatest catchers ever. That's but true. like his career was shortened a little bit. I think Maurer is an easy Hall of Famer personally, but I don't. Maybe there. I'm a, biased as well, but I, yeah. I think so too. Maybe there will be. I was a just saying, like there, 2009 but... was the one yes. year oh, where Joe Maurer yes. hit 28 homers, yes. and other than that, he never hit more than like 10. So right, yeah, no, exactly. But that's exactly right. But even like even with Harrison, like even the. Um, like the like Joe Maurer would win batting titles yeah. or compete for batting titles. And it's always it's always except for 2017 been just like very, very, very good and very, very, very consistent. But I don't know that it's risen to the level of a lot of the guys that end up in the Hall of Fame. I think he might be deserving, but usually you have to be that guy for this position specifically. It's like quarterbacks. It's you get in like receivers. There's almost too many. So they're always putting these guys in defensive backs as Leroy Butler shows you who is one of the all time greats. It just is hard. It took him a while. Right. Right. And, and should it like probably not, but Ed Reed had five all pros. Rod Woodson had six. Deion Sanders had six. Like that's, that's pretty hard to match. Charles Woodson had three. Um, Troy Polamalu had four all pros. Like those are kind of the level that you have to be. And, and these Leroy, are, these are first team all pros that you're talking about. I think. Yeah. First yeah. team, right. First team, all pros. And, uh, Leroy Butler had four. Um, and that is often the way that it's kind of done. Uh, I think that there should be more guys in there, but that might hold him back when they look at it. I think that a couple of more years of playing at this same level and he has a really good case but I don't know with that position if if they're going to do it. Yeah, and I think he has a chance this year and already has done this to some degree to really help himself yep. because a lot of times MVP, awards, Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl, all these things are kind of narrative-based. And guess what? Right now the Vikings are 10-2 and two on pace to maybe have the most wins they've ever had during Harrison Smith's career, uh, which is 
2013 and in 2017. And so if he can get to like, he has five interceptions already, ties his career high. If you can get another couple interceptions down the stretch here, the Vikings go, let's say 14 and three or 13 and four, something like that. And then maybe Harrison Smith gets a big pick in the playoffs when they win a playoff game. Maybe they go to the freaking Super Bowl. Like that would really, I think, help from a visibility perspective. Everybody's like, hey, I'm just watching Harrison Smith now. And it made me think like this guy's been really good for a decade. And I think those kind of things can stick in, in, in voters' heads years later. So I think as of right now, Harrison Smith would not get in. Yeah, and you have just you have just convinced me more than I already had thought based on some of those numbers you said. But I think he has a chance if he continues playing at this level for another three, four years. And interestingly, the Hall of Fame monitor, which is just really good at its job. Like I think it's very good at identifying like who's got the best cases based on the history. Uh, it actually does factor in if you win a championship. It's not a player rating system. It's a will you get in the Hall of Fame? And it knows. Like it is aware that if you win a championship, that you're going to get more attention and that like you're going to be on the world stage and a lot of people are going to remember that. And like you said, if safety you get, wins. If you get but if you get a huge interception and, and yeah, they've talked absolutely. about you. You know, and, and, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico are spending the whole game talking about, hey, you know, this guy, Harrison Smith, this or <laughs> like you're going to get way more attention. So what they do in the playoffs could ultimately impact his case. Because the one playoff game that really stands out is the NFC Championship game in Philly. And Harrison Smith got dunked on like four times yes. in that game yep. and did not play well. And the whole team didn't play well. But he specifically is on the wrong end of a, you watch the highlights of that game and that's kind of the lasting memory of Harrison Smith in the playoffs. So changing that narrative this year, I think would be, uh, would be good for his, his case. I agree. Uh, is there any other hot topics you want to talk about before we get into the lions? No, I guess the, the hot topic, if you want to call it that in and of itself is the lions being like a field goal favorite against the Vikings when they have five fewer wins. And I guess what, it, what was your take? Were you, when you saw that, were you like, that's weird? Or were you like, no, that makes sense. Well, I wasn't shocked by that. No. Uh, and I see I follow a lot of gambling people on Twitter because they have a different perspective than me on things like this. And, you know, I think that like, OK, so I've always had this take that power rankings are useless because no one actually uses them for what they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. They just re repurpose the standings. And it's like, oh, I think this eight and four team is slightly better than this nine and three team. And you're like, that's still just the standings. Like no one is putting in a power ranking the Detroit Lions up there because then you would get all the tweets from people. Oh, what are you stupid or whatever? But if you power ranked the way that teams have played recently, the the version of the Detroit Lions you're facing right now has been really good. They just blew somebody out who is not a horrible team in Jacksonville. They're not good, but they're not horrendous. Uh, Jacksonville just beat Baltimore the week before and they blew them out. They scored 40 points. They played right to the end with Buffalo and should have won the game against Buffalo. Like the way that they're playing is what people are going to factor in. They're going to look at the point differentials for the season, which is not actually that far away from each other. And you're also going to look at, and you want to talk about sort of the hot, hot Vikings topics. Like they're going to look at the fact that Kirk Cousins just got mutilated last last week and the fact that the defense not only gave up almost 500 yards but was on the field for 85 plays like they are coming off a game that was extremely emotional extremely physical and the last time they did that 
They went from Buffalo to Dallas, and Dallas is better than Detroit, but still, like, they lost 40-3. to That is kind of a recipe for if you're a game picker and you're trying to figure out who's going to win this, what should the line be, like, that's something that you would factor in is how physical the last game was and how many plays they were on the field for. So I, I think that that's right. And I also think that, you know, it's not crazy to look at all the metrics. There are many ways to do this and none of them come out with, Hey, this is the 98 Vikings, or this is the 99 Rams or something. They all come out with, this is kind of last year's Vegas Raiders, or this is kind of two years ago, Pittsburgh Steelers that went, I think 13 and three, and then lost to Cleveland in the first round. I think that they have five games to show that they're not. And that's, that's like fair to be patient with that and see what the accumulation is. But if you're somebody who has no like skin in the game, yeah, you're looking at those metrics and going like, yeah, this is probably way closer than you think. Yeah. It, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that, that bills to Cowboys sequence, because the last time the line came out and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Was the Cowboys being like one and a half point favorites at us bank stadium. And at, at that point, the Cowboys were a good team, but I think it was that Vikings game where they really flexed their like, we are top three Super Bowl contender in this league muscle, or top four at least. And, I mean, everyone saw what happened in that game. And, and you're right about the, the point of the Bills game. A lot of snaps, emotional, intense. And I guess that's kind of every week for this Vikings team. But the Jets game, more so than most, was came down to the very end. Two drives that the Jets had that they could have taken the lead. Just intense intense close finish and you're right like the the DVOA is another one where the Lions are 13th and the Vikings are 20th and you know you can have whatever opinion you have about about various metrics but if you look at historical DVOA I was looking at a the Football Outsiders article the closest comparison to this Vikings team in terms of a 10 and 2 team is the 2000 Minnesota Vikings like the next closest team is funny it's it's another Vikings team and that team I was looking through and like, there's a lot of similarities. They had a good quarterback, Dante Culpepper, a good running back, Robert Smith, really good wide receiver, Randy Moss, good secondary receiver, they had Chris Carter. Defensively, like they had some guys, they had John Randall, a few others. But the team just efficiency-wise, they started out with five one-score wins. They had a couple blowout losses during the regular season. They get they got to 11-2, and two, I believe. And then they, the last game of the regular season, I think they lost by like 20 they get to the playoffs, they win a game, and then they lose 41 donut to the Giants, which everyone will remember. And I'm not saying that that is going to happen to this Vikings team, but with the Cowboys and the Eagles game, like you can just kind of draw draw a comparison there. So at first, I, when I saw this Vikings-Lions line, I was like, that's that's weird because also it'll take a while for the, – the Lions are going to have to play really well for like three years for it, it to click in my <laughs> yeah. for it to click in my brain that it's not like same old Lions – but I legitimately think it isn't. You, I mean, you mentioned it. Their last six games, they have four wins. Their two losses are a four-point loss to the Dolphins, who are really good, like the Tua Dolphins, mm-hmm. and a three-point loss to the Bills, who are really, really good. Like, this Lions team, early in the season, let's not forget, week three at U.S. Bank Stadium, they led by 10 heading into the fourth. They've had an, an offense all year. Jared Goff has operated this offense really well. Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, like they have the pieces there. It was just the defense was horrific, and now last month it's not, and and they've been playing well on that side of the ball. So Vikings have their work cut out for them. We'll see what we uh, what we end up predicting at the end here, but it's gonna it's 
it's going to be another one that comes down to the end, I think. Well, and I think that anybody who doesn't like this conversation or gets upset at this conversation about the point differential. Go bet on the Vikings. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one thing. No, but not, not, not official gambling advice. No, but that, but no, but that's right. Like put your money down if you really think that, but you know, I'm not even, I'm not even going to issue that challenge as much as I'm going to say that I think it's because I think it's because people are preparing themselves. Like they're nervous. I don't think that any of this has to mean that you fail in the playoffs. Like there were a lot of reasons to look at the Los Angeles Rams going into the playoffs last year and say, I just don't think they're quite good enough. Their point differential was way better than this, but it wasn't unbelievable. It was like plus 88, I think, which historically usually Super Bowl winning teams are well above 100. Um, so you are a little below the threshold. Matthew Stafford, we've all seen him throw the bad interception many times. And boy, did he try against San Francisco, but they didn't let him. Uh, you know, they, they tried to let Tampa Bay back in that game and they found a way like the Rams playoff run is the Vikings season this year, where every one of those games was insane. Even the Super Bowl, insane. Stafford has to lead a game-winning drive at the end, and Aaron Donald has to make a sack at the end of, or whatever, a, a pressure on Joe Burrow that causes an incompletion. I mean, those are the types of games that the Vikings have played all year, so maybe you're best prepared for how close all the playoff games usually are, uh, or maybe Dallas and Philly are way better than you. I'm not really sure. I mean, I know that they are from head-to-head matchups, but you might even not face them. Like, it's just the, the world is weird this way, like with playoffs, is that you get a couple upsets or something, and who knows? Like, matchups are going to determine it. So from the perspective of right now, it's really fascinating. It's also interesting to think about where they could be in five weeks because I keep reminding myself there's 30% of the season left to go. We just know that the playoff thing is decided. So I don't know. Right now, they are paper tiger-ish. And I say ish because they have the superstar talent to not be. Mm-hmm. They have the talent to be up 20 to 3. And then they have the weaknesses to blow a 20 to three lead. Like that's your Minnesota Vikings this year. And I think it's a, it's really interesting, but as far as how each team is playing, uh, I think that this, this Vegas line is totally deserved. And I was looking like what Garrett Wilson did to them last week, what Tyreek Hill did to them, what Stefan Diggs did to them. Amon Ross St. Brown last week, 12 targets, 11 catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. This man goes in the category of your elite receivers and I think that's, again, a problem for the Vikings because it's either going to be Cam Dantzler just coming back or Duke Shelley and I have no idea, right? Caleb Evans is down. Andrew Booth Jr. is down. Is it Perry Nickerson is next man up? Tay Gowan, that's that's a practice squad name for you. It, it seems pretty clear that they do not want to put Chris Boyd out there oh, yeah. uh, on yeah. defense. So I, I don't I don't think it's him, but you're right. It, Cameron Dantzler has missed the last four games with an ankle injury. Is he just going to seamlessly be back and ready to go? And if, I mean, if he, if he, if he, if he's playing, the lions are going to try to target that. And Amon Ross St. Brown absolutely has been one of the best receivers in the league this year. It's just, yeah, this game is interesting to me because, because the lions defense is playing better, but I just, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to have faith in this Vikings defense to not give up 450 yards to the lions. So it's again, going to come down to, the, the critical downs as it always has. And I was looking at this week three game and the lions put up 416 yards. They like Jared Goff was good. He threw one pick at the very end. Jamal Williams ran for two touchdowns, but the Detroit lions went three of 16 on third down, which I think is the exact number that the jets just did. Yeah. So yeah. the Vikings are very good at getting teams to go three of 16 on third down. 
and they had to settle for a field goal at one point and, and just various things like this game back in week three has looked very similar to what we've seen for the, the past two or three months. So it, it's going to be that again. And it, the, the whole conversation of the Vikings and, and the 9-0 and in one-score games and like how much of that is complete randomness and how much, like the Vikings say, can they actually like kind of control? And I think it's a little bit of both. Like any, you, you can't, you can't possibly master the art of winning close games because they have gotten lucky this year. Like double doinks and drop touchdown passes and fumbled snaps at the one and all the all these things. Like they have gotten some breaks that just suggest at some point they're not going to get that and they're going to regress and they're going to get burned if they keep playing with fire. But they have so much experience now in these situations. I think there's something real about like they get into a situation against the Jets where it's Jets can score a touchdown, take the lead. They're not panicking by any means. They're confident that they're going to find a way to to get a stop there because they have all year. And they have the, the important thing, they have the talent. It's not like this is some no-name defense that is 31st in in yards allowed per game. Like they have Harrison Smith, they have Patrick Peterson, they have Daniel Hunter and and Zadarius Smith and Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks have been kind of really up and down in my eyes, but those guys are really like eighth-year linebackers. So I think there is something real about the Vikings' ability to kind of be confident in these close games, but if they if they keep doing it every week, at, at some point, we keep saying this, at some point they will lose a close game. Tis the season for you to buy the best Minnesota sports-themed apparel in the world for all of your friends and family. Go to sodastick.com. They have great holiday shopping deals there, and use the promo code INSIDER. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, code INSIDER, for all of your holiday shopping. I don't know that it's the rest of this year. <laughs> I mean, but but this would be the week, right? Like, I don't I don't believe in the Giants. The Colts are the Colts stink. I don't even know how much the games against the Bears and Packers are going to matter. So, th- like, this is kind of in a way like the final frontier of this conversation. Right? Yeah. This game, and I guess the Giants. I'm just so un- unimpressed by them. Like as a whole, like they have a negative point differential. You want to talk about no one believes in your team. No one really believes in the New York Giants. I think people do believe in Justin Jefferson and the superstar talent of this team. The Giants really don't even have that. Um, but that's really it. Like this is the this is kind of the last time we really get to have that conversation aside from the Giants game and I think that's what makes it interesting now as far as hot topics go we haven't discussed Jamison Williams we will relitigate Jamison Williams over the next number of years for sure with that trade down but my question for you as we go into this game is what do you think he's going to do because last week he played like two snaps I think I think nothing I think he he's coming off such a major thing with the ACL where he's going to really be eased back. And like, I, I saw a report or tweet or something like they wanted to use him as a punt gunner last week, but then they didn't punt <laughs> the single time against the Jaguars. So they didn't get to do that. So that, that kind of tells me he's not like going to take some big leap and play 35 snaps this week. I think he might be out there in like almost a Jalen Rager role and then play a few snaps, maybe get the ball and a gadget play or run some deep, deep routes to try to clear out a safety or something. And then he might be a punt gunner too. So this specific game, I don't think we're going to have any hot takes about that, that trade, but yeah, next year, the year beyond, like if he 
gets back to looking like he did at Alabama. And, and oh boy, Christian Watson, by the way, has like eight touchdowns in the last four games or yeah. something. That's not the exact stat, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to be talking about this for a little while, especially uh, considering neither of the Vikings, the, the two defensive backs they drafted early have been healthy. So there's, um, there's, there's risks that I really like going for it on fourth down, going for it on fourth down. Doesn't make me nervous. Cause I just think it's right. Like when, when a team lines up fourth and two with the 35 yard line, I'm like, Oh, they're just right. With this one, this one should make you nervous. It should have made you nervous in day one because you didn't just give them a player. You gave them a player that you know, could have huge, huge potential and who's going to play against you all the time. Like This guy is not going away. But as far as this game goes, though, uh, and, and we'll find out over years, like Jamison Williams might be a bust. He might be a Hall of Famer. We have no idea right now. And both the defensive backs may be injured now and then stay healthy for the rest of their lives and be great and everyone's happy. I don't know. I, w- I said oh, when they traded Diggs, I said, good luck finding another Diggs. And then, oh, my God, here's Justin Jefferson. Like, who would have ever thought that? Um, so, but as far as this week goes, I think they'll try one. I think that they will try to line up and based on what Garrett Wilson did to Patrick Peterson on a particular play, I think one time he got, he got Christian week one, Christian Watson last week against, against Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the first play from scrimmage. I, th- th- I think that if you're they the Lions, that's gotta be tempting, right? One time they will set up Jamison Williams against Patrick Peterson and run him straight down the field and try to throw a bomb. It just—it's like inevitable that they will try to like win that trade on Sunday, at least for one play. But uh, otherwise, Jared Goff, Jared Goff can get it there. Oh, for Say sure. Say what you want about—he's got a—he's yeah. got a huge arm. Yeah, and both—I mean, both of the like think about like what those target numbers would be different if both of those turned into touchdowns. You know, we look at those targeted and whatever those you talk about like the merits of some of those stats can be a lot more shaky than than some of the grades from pff but um okay i uh we could pick this and then i have a quick game for you. well we haven't one thing we haven't talked about the tj hawkinson revenge game oh yeah you got any thoughts on that i mean i just have a feeling he's gonna score a touchdown because like kevin o'connell is gonna for the same reason the lions might scheme up jameson williams kevin o'connell is gonna try to get because he does that and i think I think that's real. Like mm-hmm. they they put Jalen Rager in in that Philly game and try to like get him the ball and and they it's he tries to empower players and he like week seventeen last year Mike Zimmer said I don't care about records I only care about wins Kevin O'Connell is never going to say something like that because totally I think he agree. understands what like getting Justin Jefferson to sixteen thirty yards last year would have meant to him yes and he yeah. gets that so that angle. I think I think TJ Hawkinson might might get schemed up in the uh, in the low red zone here. Yeah, I completely agree. I think though that the Hawkinson trade is very uncontroversial to me because it was so obvious for both teams. Like if Detroit didn't plan to make Hawkinson a long-term part of how they're spending their money and they're a team that's rebuilding and thinking long-term, well it makes sense to move on from him and create as much cap space as you possibly can if that's not a future player. You didn't draft him, you're not locked into him. And for the Vikings, you desperately needed another weapon. Uh, we talked about their best tight end was K.J. Osborne. Um, and and you didn't give up that much, but also from Detroit's perspective, like you got a second rounder. Like that's really good for you. So both teams can sort of like shake hands on this one and say good trade. The other one is like, I don't know, man. I mean, you trade from 12 to 32. Oh, yeah. You go so far down. You don't get another first. Like that one is one that had to work out in the future for the Vikings in order for us not to go back and go, what the, uh, this one was really 
obvious, I thought. Like, if you got a chance to do it, then you do it. Yeah, the draft ones, I think, are going to be interesting to follow. But everything they did kind of during and before the season, like, they gave up a couple late-round picks for Jalen Rager, and he's helped them win some games so far. He's a solid punt returner, and he might continue to get more involved. They gave up a late-round pick to get um, Ross Blacklock, and he's he's been solid. Like, they moved on from Armin Watson, Amir Smith-Marset, and that hasn't – well, that actually helped them win a game when Amir Smith-Marset fumbled in, in week five. But I think all those trades have, have worked out so far. And the TJ Hawkinson one, you're exactly right. Like, he's, he's he was a good tight end. He came to Minnesota. He's been a good tight end, and they, he's really helped their offense. And the Lions, just look at what they've done since they traded him. That, that's not it'll, – it'll ultimately be judged over, over the course of years, but – They've been really good since they traded him, and I'm, that's it's not a, like a shot at T.J. Hawkinson. It's just the reality. I mean, maybe that validates that they didn't think he was a super important part of their offense, and it's, it's going to be the the Amonara St. Brown and DeAndre Swift show, and, and it has been. Yeah, allocation of funds, really, for them. And there's no even guarantee that the Vikings sign Hawkinson long-term, but he's a win-now type of move. Uh, all right, here's the game. Motown singer or guy who caught a pass in 2008 for the Owen 16 Vikings. Okay. Owen 16 Lions. I, wow. Owen 16 Lions. <laughs> yep. Yes. Dan Orlovsky running out of the back of the end zone and so <laughs> forth. Yeah. So the, um, this is either someone who is a legendary Motown singer. I have okay. a list from the Motown museum.org and I have pro football reference 2008. Owen oh, 16 Lions. This is good. Uh, there, there were about 20 people who caught at least a single pass for the Lions. Yeah. Okay, so I will give you the name and you tell Calvin me. Calvin Johnson was on that team, which right? Which one? Yeah. So you're yeah, presumably yeah. not going to name him because. I'm not going to name him because you know who he is. I know who he is. is. <laughs> Literally everyone else it's possible you haven't heard of on the 08 line. Do they have one of the two Roy Williams? They did, yes. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to use that's him. All, that's, those are the only two I can think of, so now go Also, ahead. Rudy Johnson, the running back, I think that you would have known. Not necessarily, but sure. Okay, so yeah, he was around. He was a Bengal. Uh, okay, our first player or Motown singer is John Standiford. Ooh, that sounds like it could be like a random tight end. So I'm going to say football player. That's uh, correct. He was a wide receiver. He caught 15 passes for 244 yards. Okay. All right. Next on our list here, either Motown singer or uh, player from the 2008 uh, Detroit Lions, Moran Norris. I'm going to go Motown singer. That is incorrect. Moran <sighs> Norris was a fullback who caught four passes for 16 yards at four yards per catch. Uh, okay. How about we go with um, Barrett Strong? Barrett Strong. Barrett Strong. I'm going, I'm going Motown. Uh, you had to figure I would go Motown eventually. Yeah, some of it you is are, just like reading the, you what, what's your pattern going to be, but I'll, I'm going to try not to do that. Barrett Strong was indeed a Motown singer. All right, next on our list is Carrie Colbert. Is Carrie Colbert a Motown singer or 08 Detroit Lions? This is a really good game because, like, <laughs> it just could completely be either, <laughs> and I would have no idea, but I'm going to say Detroit Lion. Uh, that's correct. He was a Detroit Lion. He wore the number 19 before it was cool, okay. and he had five receptions for 64 yards. Nice. Uh, okay, our next either player or Motowner is Jimmy Ruffin. That that screams Motown. That's yeah, Jimmy Ruffin. He might be a little too famous for that. Uh, I, I don't know who Jimmy Ruffin is. It just the name screams. I'm an old old Motown singer. Okay, Motown singer, or I won't I won't go Marvin Gaye here. I'm, 
I'm trying I, to find I, ones I know who Marvin Gaye is. that uh, maybe you wouldn't uh, know. Not Stevie Wonder, for example. Yeah. Um, but, of course, the 08 Lions only have so many famous people, so it's a little easier. Casey Fitzsimmons. I'm saying Lion. You're doing extremely well in this game. That, Casey, that Casey name Fitzsimmons, tight like end. Maybe I recognized somehow. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, Mike Furry. F-U-R-R-E-Y. That's that's a Detroit Lion. I, I, I that's I, another I, one where I'm I like, maybe, I maybe cannot, I recognize that. I cannot trick you here. Uh okay, John Owens. Um John Owens. I'm I'm saying Motown. That is a Detroit Lion. Dang. I yeah. That was good that you kept going with the yes, Lions there. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was yeah. thinking at some point you're gonna go back to the singer. And that yeah, that's a perfect name where it's like, I have no idea. You're trying to play the player and not play the game. Well, I'm doing Sean both. Sean McDonald. That's a another Detroit Lion. That is another Detroit Lion, yeah. yes. A wide receiver who caught 35 passes. Oh, my God. This team. Marv Johnson. That's got to be a Motown singer. It is a Motown Marv. singer. Yeah, Marv. I had gone too many. Marv Johnson. Well, you know, I mean, they had John Owens and... Casey Fitzsimmons. That's Those kind of sound true. like. Uh, all right, uh, Valerie Simpson. Is that a receiver, tight end, fullback, running back, or a Motown singer? Va- isn't Valerie a, a woman's name? I mean, there are men named Valerie. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, I'll go Motown singer. It is. It's actually a woman Motown singer, <laughs> but I thought I could kind of throw you off there. It is. It is a, <laughs> pro, a predominantly female name, I would say. Uh, you know. Shout out to the Amy Winehouse song, Valerie. Which I think is a, was originally written about a guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. that may, actually might be true now that so I think of it. So there you go. Uh, okay, so I've run out of Motown singers from their museum. But, you um, want to just rattle off a few more? Just a few more Detroit Lions. Running back Kevin Smith, who almost got That's, to 1,000 I, I would have got that, yeah. He was the second leading receiver that year with 39 catches. Oh, my God. It's a travesty. <laughs> this, 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 Jerome Felton, former yeah, Viking, was there. Vikings legend. Nine catches. You would have known that one. Summer solided into the end zone. Yeah. So that kind of covers all the – oh, the other one was Avion Quezon. Remember Avion Quezon? Not at all. No. That was a good game, though. Should we, uh, should we pick this real quick? It did well. We, uh, I think we skipped that. Oh, or I we... forgot that we didn't pick it. I'm going to go with the Lions. Okay. I'm going to go with the Vikings. I'm very tempted to take the Lions. I mean, they're literally favored and they're at home. But I just – I think the Vikings are a better team, and I can't get it out of my head that it's the Detroit Lions. And even if they're up 10 at the end of the third quarter, they will probably find a way – to lose, so at the risk of the Vikings. The Vikings could lose this game by 20 points, and I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm going to take the Minnesota Vikings. I always pick splits for uh, division games, even no matter how bad the teams are. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that might change this year with the you know, Bears and Packers, but that's just always like my theory. When I start the season and I do the wins and losses, I just pick splits unless Matt Patricia is coaching the other team. Yeah. So give me, give me Kevin O'Connell over Dan Campbell, though. That's- I agree. I agree. Uh, but I think in terms of like, in terms of like it's a close. game management thing and totally. like calling the, the schematics and all but, that. From a pure leadership perspective, give me Dan Campbell. That dude fires you up. I think equal maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. KOC is good in that area too. Give me Ben Johnson over Kevin O'Connell. Ooh, maybe. Maybe their offense is better. Ben Johnson probably going to be a head coach. All right. Well, that was fun. 
Uh, one of us will be right. One of us will be wrong. Maybe uh, next time, next year, we'll do uh, Motown karaoke and we'll make you sing on the show. <laughs> uh, I haven't done enough singing this year. It's, if, if people are leaving mean iTunes comments, that should really be your comment, not there's too many ads in the show that's free and goes for an hour. Uh, anyway, thanks for your time, Will. Yeah. I will uh, catch you later, and we'll probably have one more episode before the end of the week for fans only if you want to send any questions. And otherwise, we will see you guys after Detroit.